Hi, welcome to the Happy in Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Arnold. I'm an expert certified coach and a physician mom. I help women physicians go from burnout to happy in medicine. Let's get started. Hi, we are back and today's topic is on quiet quitting. This term was hot the summer of 2022, and it is still smoking. People are still talking about it. The name is a bit of misnomer because the employees aren't actually quitting. They're staying at their job, but not putting in more time than necessary. This concept went viral with a TikTok by Saeed Khan, July 2022. And check out the video, the links in the show notes. I recently learned about this term called quiet quitting, where you're not outright quitting your job, but you're quitting the idea of going above and beyond. You're still performing your duties, but you're no longer subscribing to the hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life. The reality is it's not, and your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. This TikTok resonated in a big way. It has over five, around 500,000 likes and engagements. The link is below. Harvard organizational psychologist Adam Grant suggests that quiet quitting is actually an extension of the great resignation. So if you recall, the great resignation is whereby many people left the workforce during the pandemic because of wage stagnation, hostile work environments, inflexible schedules, risk of COVID. In essence, it was just a long lasting chronic job dissatisfaction. But not everyone had the privilege or flexibility to quit, to leave their job, to resign. And for those who couldn't or didn't, some of them had decided to stay in place and quietly quit parts of their job that aren't working for them. And that's a concept of quiet quitting. NPR cites that contributing factors of quiet quitting include a really tight labor market where layoffs and firings are at a record low and workers have multiple job offers, they have job security, more options to quit the job, parts of the job that just aren't working for them. Some other people cite, or NPR also cites that there's this ongoing battle right now where workers have been able to have remote work and flexibility of working from home and employers are pushing to have them return back into the physical workspace. And there's some tension there, leaving workers want ways to recreate, reclaim their own autonomy. There's been some buzz on social media just this week about employee monitoring devices, people in the research scientists and the research labs were saying, what is this device that just showed up overnight? This little picture of a white box next to an electrical outlet. And other people figured out these were employee monitoring devices. They sent and report back to the PI and the deans and higher up, like who's in the lab, how often they're there. They're motion detection devices. There also has been an explosion of monitoring devices on how often is someone clicking on their keyboard? How often are, how long are they on the host site and monitoring where we are, what we're doing, what we're not doing? And this has created a lot of break, the breakdown of trust between employee and employers and a loss of autonomy on the side of the employees and a co-evolution mechanism of finding ways to get that autonomy back through mechanisms like quite quitting. There's also NPR looked at employees who went the extra mile, who sacrificed their health, maybe stayed away from their family for up to six months during COVID, only to receive payoffs or layoffs, pay cuts, eventually started disengaging more from that job that they felt like didn't treat them well. So in other words, the drivers are quite quitting are probably also chronic job dissatisfaction. The reaction to quiet quitting has been controversial. 
Some have said it's a worrisome sign of people disengaging. Maybe people are withdrawing from life in general, and this could be a worrisome sign of declining mental health. Or other people cite that this is just a character flaw, that really people should be always going above and beyond, especially doctors have no excuse, should always be sacrificing more and more and more. Other leaders say this is just passive aggressive. People are playing games. They're making it harder for the coworkers. You'll even see people saying this is just the blaming a lazy Gen X millennial generation who invented this term and are too self-focused. The truth is, we just don't know if any of that's true. There's just not enough science to investigate any of that. We're just starting to understand what this concept of quiet quitting is. I would say I'm leery to believe any suggestion like quiet quitters are lazy. This is what, what we're hearing from systems because when we have a system blaming the employee, it removes a responsibility of what we're seeing from the system from the system owning their part in this. It shuts down investigation of how could this system be better? How could the culture of medicine be better? How could hospitals be better? When we say it's just a lazy workforce, we really just wind up blaming sort of the victim. We wind up blaming the person who is struggling and leaving no responsibility for the people who are in charge. If you look at the Medscape 2023 data, which reports that up to 25% of physicians have clinical depression, up to 75% have colloquial depression. That is, they're people who say they're really struggling, but they don't have a clinical diagnosis of depression. One in 10 physicians have committed, have considered committing suicide. These are not signs of a healthy system. These are, in fact, signs of a broken system. So as the controversy of quiet quitting evolves, and like who do we believe is was some of the subject line, I would look at these numbers and say, I'm going to believe the workforce. <laughs> and the people who are saying they were blaming and trying to get out of the responsibility of the system, I am less inclined to believe them if we have to make a choice. Some of the, the counterpart around this controversy is leaders saying, what are we going to do if everybody quite quits? And I think there, I think the likelihood of that happening is low. I think there are, the as you look at these studies, it's not the majority of the population who are quietly quitting. And also, it's only a problem if the system has no plans to correct itself. If this is indeed a threat to the culture of medicine or to how things are going right now, and the system has no plans to correct it, maybe it would be a problem. But there's also this option that the system can take responsibility, start developing plans, working with the employees to figure out what's going on, what are the threats to the employees, how do we make this better? Loads of specific solutions, action plans, and next steps we're going to talk about at the very end. It actually doesn't have to be a problem if the system is willing to take a look and make some changes. And also, if you're listening to this, you know that's not going to happen today. And so I also have some plans of how you can put in place changes to help you get back your autonomy, start working towards making your job work for you in a number of ways. So stay tuned for those solutions at the end. I wanted to introduce another piece of this controversy puzzle is comes from the Gallup there's data from around the Gallup or the Gallup reported that at least half of the US workforce is disengaged. And what this says is that the concept of quiet quitting, while that term is new, that just came to us last year, the concept of employee disengagement actually has been around for decades. I'm guessing it's been around since as long as there were employees, because I think it's a natural human response to an unhealthy workplace. But you'll see as the discussions 
um, or I was re- listening to some discussions about some harbor groups that pointed out that, well, these numbers are the same as 2000. So this isn't anything really at all. And I just want to emphasize that even if the numbers are same as 2000, it doesn't make it unimportant. That if half over, actually, it's over half of the workforce is, dis- is disengaged, it's a problem. Over half of the workforce has been disengaged since as long as we've been looking at these studies. It's a problem for sure. Just because the numbers are have been the same for decades doesn't mean this isn't important. These numbers were worrisome in 2000, and they are still worrisome today. It doesn't become unimportant because half of the workforce was also suffering in 2000. It's actually still important. It signals that there is a crisis in the workforce, and it's probably been longstanding. It hasn't done enough to change. It's still broken. So just be leery as you look at quite quitting and the controversies around it. Be leery of the rhetoric that this isn't an issue and who is saying it. Usually, these are the very senior leaders who are like, this isn't a problem, so let's just keep going as is. And why that rhetoric is dangerous is because if it's not real, no one's going to do anything to investigate it. It's really easy to ignore it, to settle on what we have, to keep perpetuating the system that created it and having no change. So what is it driving quite quitting? When I look at this Harvard study, they looked at 3,000 managers, over 13,000 direct reports. And what they found is the managers who were ranked low had the highest num- number of people who were quietly quitting. So for example, the lowest rate managers had a 14% of their workforce was quietly quitting. And the highest rank managers had only 3% quite quitting. The lowest rate managers had 20% of their workforce was willing to go an extra mile to go above and beyond compared to the highest ranked managers had 62% of their workforce was willing to go above and beyond. And what this suggests is a quiet quitting is not a function of a lazy employee. It's a function of ineffective leadership. And as someone who's worked in medicine, that would be my guess too. That was my experience as well. It wasn't that the employees were lazy, though the system was set up against them. So if this is the case, so we can extension bring this to what's happening in medicine, understanding how to improve leadership might be more effective than blaming the physicians. My biggest point is this. It really reveals a lot about our culture that doing our job is referred to as quite quitting. I can really think about it. The definition of quite quitting is an employee doesn't go above and beyond. That's doing your job, right? There's a lot about our culture, the culture of medicine. Doing our job is referred to as quite quitting. People who are doing their job are labeled as lazy and too self-focused and at fault and shamed. I would like to just plant the seeds that it's possible that doing our job is just doing our job. We aren't quitting, period. If we're in place doing our job, that's not quitting. That's doing our job. This brings us to a really interesting point. September 2022, Harvard Business Review is quoted as saying, quiet quitters are less less willing to engage in activities known as citizenship behaviors. No more staying late, showing up early, or attending non-mandatory meetings. And you'll see this. Good team players are going to do this. Good citizens are going to do this. You'll hear this. It's it's stated like this is the default setting, which everyone has to 
agree to. This idea that good citizenship, being a good team player is this umbrella term for a 24-hour workday, for sacrifice at all costs. But what I want to bring the seeds to, like plant some seeds here, is what if good citizenship could be defined as doing your job and doing a good job at it, even is hard. When the pandemic is happening, you're risking your life to go to work and you might not see your family for periods of time. What if being a good citizen is saying yes when you can't more, when you can want to or have desire to do more work and saying no when you can't, don't want to, or are not willing? That can be good citizenship too. I'll say that this is just a sidebar. I think it's not uncommon for leaders who hear this coaching work to feel really threatened that If their employees, their physicians come into coaching, that they are just going to leave everything and everyone's going to quit. It's actually not what happens. I would say, I haven't done the science on it, but I'd say most people come into this coaching program because they want to stay in their job. They're struggling with how to be happy in their job. And they're just a couple of thoughts away from really enjoying their job again. And most of them, 80, 90% stay in their job and they come into it thinking, I hate my boss. My boss hates me. It's mutual. (laughs) I got to leave this job. I got to leave medicine. Most people come in along that line. I don't have enough time. I have no choice. I just can't do it. I feel like a failure. With a couple of shifts and not too long, many of them go to this place of acceptance and then they go to this place of, you know what? This is the perfect job for me. I've learned to stop hating my job, my boss. I'm starting to have fun. I'm negotiating for salary feels good. I'm negotiating for a schedule that makes sense. I love this job. I'm not looking anymore. I have 0% energy looking. So all that to say is employees want to feel valued. They want to love their job. And sometimes they just need a little help to get to that place. And when they do, they contribute more, not less. So to the leaders who might be listening, who two leaders who might be listening that you're worried your employees will all leave if they get into coaching, I think they're more likely to stay and produce at an even higher level. Science backs that up as well as my experience. So from a coaching perspective, getting back to quiet quitting, what we call it doesn't matter at all. How I would look at it is we really want to figure out what's driving the behavior. What's driving it is these are my attempts to rebalance my life, to feel empowered, to contribute more, to feel more like I'm at ease in my life. This is a self-care mechanism. When I say I'm quitting this, I'm quitting that, I feel empowered by it. Then what we're seeing is an adaptive response. The the worker is finding a way to feel better and contribute at an even higher level. And the work then is just to understand what are the issues along the system level that are creating this ecosystem? Is there something that can be optimized to help? If, on the other hand, a physician is quietly quitting with the goal to hurt people, hurt themselves, hurt the system. And in the end, patients are being hurt and there's some more suffering and destruction and families like that physician's family is being strained. And the physician feels terrible, feels like they're struggling before, during, and after. That is a maladaptive behavior. I don't know any physician who's doing this, by the way. I don't know anyone in medicine who's doing this, by the way. But the work is similar. It's to see that there are some system level issues here. There's some 
this physician is struggling, what are the issues at play and how can we help everyone get to more functional levels? So what we call it in some ways doesn't matter at all. You really just want to unpack what's driving it. How is a person feeling while they're doing it afterwards? What is it creating? So there's this element of it doesn't really matter what you call it. And then there's this counterpoint to it. And what we call it does actually matter. Labeling people who do their jobs as quitters is a problem, especially if the people you're talking about, I mean, I think this is true for all humans, but especially the people you're talking about took an oath to protect their patients. To call them quitters is really going to be a value misalignment. Or people who spent decades sacrificing, received, or achieved six-figure debt, who sacrificed delayed having families, maybe some of them didn't have families at all, who delayed buying a house or a car or having these other features of of house, cars, convenience, status, luxury, things like this. When you put the sacrifice for an extended period of time to label those folks as quitters is a problem because they're not quitting. They're doing their job. So let's look at solutions. And I'm going to go through the solutions that I researched by Looking at NPR, Harvard Business Review, Gallup, I'm going to show you what they suggest. I'm going to provide a little bit of context. I'll end with what are my suggestions of how to get started. So remember, Gallup is the organization that put together over half of the country is quietly quitting or is disengaged. So they go on to say, well, how can we start reversing this? They recommend that employers spend at least 15 up to 30 minutes a week in meaningful conversation per worker per week to help foster relationships, get more connected, figure out what's going on for the employees. And listen, that could be great. Kind of sounds like a nightmare to me. So in terms of, I wouldn't want to speak with my boss 30 minutes a week. None of my bosses ever. And I mean, I think there's this element of bosses might be just as time strapped as their employees. So imagine if a physician leader might be in charge of hundreds of employees. That's just, that is just not going to be possible. Spend 30 minutes a week with each one of them one-on-one. And I think there's also a level of like, sometimes employees, I, that was my experience. I didn't want to talk if it wasn't leading to action. And just like, it would, it would be such a time drain. So talking is important and talking without action is just a waste of time for everyone. Harvard study of over 113,000 leaders were found, and this makes so much sense, that trust was a leading indicator that determined if an employee felt that their boss was effective or not, is how they're able to manage the trust with their employer. And when the trust was eroded, like maybe bringing in employee monitoring devices, just saying, and that relationship started feeling the relationship started feeling lopsided and the reciprocity started breaking down where it felt like the boss was after herself and the employees were on their own. It makes it harder for job for people to even want to show up and do their job, much less go miles and miles above when there's this equal suspicion and resentment of the other. So this study pointed out that the emphasis should be on establishing building trust with the employee. And that will be through helping the employee feel seen, valued, and taken care of, being treated honestly, and doubling down on the employee experience to help re-energize the workforce. So Forbes went on to list more inspired work and workplaces, prettier places to work in that feel more comfortable, investing in employees feeling value, which would look like fair pay and compensation for going above and beyond instead of expecting it with no extra money, like actually giving them more compensation for employees who, who want to go above and beyond. 
having more empathetic and effective leadership who are dialed in with shared values, flexible work hours and places and spaces, listening to employees with also the idea of being able to put things into changes into action and making space for well-being, which I love all of that. Love it. We're a long way from it. Stay tuned. I have more things we can do today. Others have pointed out that the whole concept of quiet quitting, really the problem is the needs have to be articulated to the leaders and that people shouldn't be quiet. They should be loud. Of course, this is on the table. Like We always want to be able to advocate for ourselves. Of course, it's a big feature of, of my coaching program is to figure out how to articulate this. And also be wary of this kind of advice it says the employees need to be articulating their needs because it puts the burden again on the worker. Usually the people who are saying this are the leaders who may or may not have a history of listening to the employees or taking their words seriously or punishing the people who stand out. So people are often quiet for a reason, not because they're lazy or because they're scared or because they don't think they're of value or they don't want change. They always, they for sure want change but it might not be a safe environment for them. So I think the better question to ask is not to say like, how can we make people who are identified as quiet quitters be more loud about what they're doing, which really kind of ignores why they're doing it in the first place, is maybe to look at how can leaders be more effective? So don't have to rely on people who are struggling having the responsibility for those people to also now have the responsibility of educating their leaders. Maybe the leaders need to make it safer for folks to step up, be more connected and well-versed on what's happening, having open lines of communication without retribution. People aren't quiet because they're lazy. People are often quiet because they don't feel safe. They don't feel seen. They don't think they can change the system. Maybe in the past they've tried and they were met with silence or disdain, or being ignored, or blamed, or punished. So if you are a leader and you want more people to speak up, you have to make it safe for them to speak. Make it worth their time by having a history of leading to effective change. And if you are a leader or also a physician who's in this place of looking at quiet quitting, you can also consider coaching can be a really valuable tool to help articulate what it is that you want and what's in the way of getting it and negotiating for it. I do that all the time in my program. It's actually one of the main core fundamental processes. So here's what I suggest. And, and stay with me because this is too not going to happen overnight, but this is what I imagine would, would speak to the longer term chronic injuries here. Is if the job has more expectations than what they've outlined, because we have to, well, there's a job description for most jobs out there. And if there is more expected, just write it down, outline it, tell them. I have been in multiple rooms where people have told me, leaders have told me, we own you. Multiple rooms. We own you. You have no free time. We own all of your time. All of it is owed to us. Write it down so that we all understand that before we sign on for that job. That's such a good thing to let people know. Not every system is like that, but to know it up front and ahead of time can be really helpful so that people know what they're signing up for and there's just a better match for everyone involved. Building systems to support, monitor, and optimize. How are these changes working? Is there something that we could be doing better? 
helps set everyone up for success. It helps build trust. If you know what your job is, okay, these are what's expected. You're going to be on these many committees. You're going to be teaching these many lectures. You can just have a very clear idea. It helps everyone build trust and be successful. Term limits for leaders. How many times have you seen someone in this position for decades? And it might be because they can't find anyone else who will take that position. That's often the case because it's a terrible position or someone's really run it into the ground. But if you have a term limit, now we have a defined period of time where this person has, there's going to be a change at the end of this term limit. Whether, whether they were great or not, there will be a change. And continued leadership depending on the evaluation, success, and morale of their staff. Living salary for workers, including their trainees. Staffing the hospital according to the needs and not just asking the employees left behind to take on the additional work. Helping remove the load from the invisible work. All the admin, training, documentation, certifications, renewal, committees, taking people to dinner, having to buy birthday cards and cakes. I had to tell someone at some point, I am not buying any more birthday cards and cakes. Of all the things I have to do to get the kids to daycare, and now I have to go stop at Target and buy a cake and a birthday. You have got to be kidding me. Right? There's so much invisible work at work. Count all work towards a career advancement. We can't say, expect our employees, you're going to do all this hosting of dinners. And by the way, none of that counts. Or we need you on all these committees and we need you to write these review articles. And by the way, none of that counts for promotion. We want to be able to count all of it. Reliable child care, promotion criteria aligned with employee goals, sick time for when you're sick. Input on the schedule and career milestones. Maybe not everyone wants to get promoted via hundreds of papers. Coaching, therapy, and well-being work. It helps now versus creating more work, right? So the idea of if we're going to add in mental health support, we don't want it to feel like more work. The truth is all of this would go a long way to improve life in medicine, and it's also a really long way off for most people. Not because it's not it's not the right thing to do. It actually probably is. It's a sustainable way. Not because we don't deserve it. We for sure do deserve it. But it takes a long time to shift things in medicine, especially if people on top don't want to change everything and they call anyone who, who wants to change a system quitters. You can see how it makes it harder to move things forward. So in the meantime, we don't want to wait on medicine to change to feel better. We want to start looking for how can we make changes now? That's a really big piece of my program. I want to introduce you to some ideas that you can put in place today. The first is the concept of starting small. What is the tiniest thing you can do today to reclaim 1% of your value, autonomy, funness? Like we want to start there on 1% wins because if you're exhausted, by the system, the idea of making massive changes is going to be overwhelming. So we want to start with something really small that your brain can kind of put its, wrap its mind around. Okay, I can do something that will create a 1% win because I can do that. 1% win may not sound like a lot, but when you're burned out by the system, 1% win is actually everything. And that's where we start. We build from here. As more and more of us build from here, we actually start changing the system. So examples, I'll give you some examples. It'll be very different for every person, but things that I have used in the past for 1% wins is sometimes as small as bringing my favorite drink to work, wearing my favorite pullover, putting on my favorite shoes, packing a few extra snacks, listening to a favorite podcast, making time to get up and stretch my back, take a few deep breaths, booking a massage for the weekend, 
journaling just to empty out my brain so I can just feel like I can just get some clarity and relief and have deep energizing sleep. Plano getaway. There's so many physicians when they, who leave who leave medicine, resign from their position, and they have banked up so much vacation that they were, were just convinced they couldn't use. So something you can do really easily at the beginning of the year, go ahead at one vacation a quarter. Just go ahead and schedule it out ahead of time, book it out. So you hold that space and you make sure you use your vacations. It doesn't ever have to go to waste or be thrown away. Ordering your favorite dinner. Surf the web for, I worked with a client this week. We were exploring like how, how do we start making some substantial wins? What, what would you love to do? She's like, I just want to surf the internet for 15 minutes at lunch. Right, do it. So we just found a way to create these pockets of fifteen minutes. And if you're outside of coaching, that might sound impossible to take time out. It actually is. We start with these little, small, five, fifteen-minute chunks. Maybe for you, it's ninety seconds. We just build from there. Walk around campus, ask someone for help, hire someone to help with the errands, hire a laundry service, send yourself flowers. Or if all that is not appealing. Think about what are the things you can let go of. You just can just say, I'm done doing this forever, or I'm going to do less of this, or I'm going to negotiate someone else to do this, or I'm just going to say no to the next five things that come my way. Millions of options here. If it doesn't feel good to call it quietly quitting, it feels like shame or disdain or pain or anger or reactive or some feeling along the line of a negative emotion, I would say maybe don't call it quietly quitting. Here's how I like to think about it. I'm quitting the shame around taking care of myself. I'm quitting the hustle culture. I'm quitting the culture of medicine that says every problem has to be solved with more work and more sacrifice. I'm quitting the ends justify the means mentality. I'm quitting this expectation that we have to suffer for decades while incurring six-figure debt and sacrificing ourselves. I'm quitting waiting for decades for my boss to retire. Because here's the truth. There's no badge of honor for working through the holidays, coming in on Sundays and staying late. Derek Thompson said, our deaths were never meant to be altars. I don't think that applies to medicine. I think medicine really does design itself to be worshipped. There's this expectation to worship it in many ways. And we don't have to. We can do an exceptional job at our workplace and prioritize our patients and have excellent outcomes. And how we do that is by being exceptional care of ourselves. We have more to offer medicine when we take care of ourselves first. Enroll or schedule your free coaching consultation. Go to ChristinaArnoldCoaching.com. That's all one word, ChristinaArnoldCoaching.com. Christina with a C-H. Until then... Remember, you're right where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing at the exact right rate, and so is everyone else. See you next time. Bye.